You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Eric, there's a lot of noise out there. Just wanted to know was... Is it? You, it's all Jeff Merrick's fault, just so you know. I, I, I just wanted to ask you... Like, it's what, all your fault. <laughs> what, 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 do you, what do you want? Like, I mean, you're the guy who has control here. What, what's your preference? I want to win. That's, uh, that's why I uh, started playing this sport when I was a little kid. Uh, I used to cry after every loss. I don't do that anymore. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's what I want. And, uh, you know, when you're younger... You think you got all the time in the world, and, and uh, you don't realize how fast time goes. And uh, you know, I hope that uh, I get the chance to uh, at least uh, you know have a chance at it again. And uh, you know, hopefully, it's here. A goal scorer, fighter—I don't care. Anybody in hockey, they always say the same thing: when things are good later in your career, still got it, and you do. Mm-hmm. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. I got lots of years left in me, guys. <laughs> yes, you absolutely. Take care. Absolutely. Now you're negotiating. Alex is going to be all over. <laughs> Okay, first of all, the business. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast brought to you by GMC and the new Sierra AT4X. Secondly, thanks for throwing me under the bus with Eric Carlson. Like right out of the gate, my pal just throwing in the white towel. Oh, it was Merrick's fault, Eric. It was Merrick's fault. So thanks for that on Hockey Night in Canada, Fridge. My only real disappointment <laughs> was that he didn't back the truck over you after I drove it. <laughs> That's good. Right away, just defer to me. Oh, it's all Merrick's fault. I'm I'm just a messenger here. Great answer. Great answer from him. There's a few things that happened in that, and I want to get into a lot of it. And mm-hmm. one of the things some people might not even be aware of, and we're going to get to that. But first of all, let's focus on the answer. The answer is, I want to win. You just heard Eric Carlson of the San Jose Sharks, and we all know what this season is like for the San Jose Sharks and what the expectations are, the new general manager, and have a look under the hood and what the future is and who's on the boat and who's not wanted on the voyage, etc. But what did you make of how Carlson, A, talked about wanting to win and really didn't talk about the San Jose Sharks and winning? I have a couple of things on this. First of all, again, I I thought it was a great answer, and I really appreciated the fact that he was blunt and honest. Yeah. Whenever you ask a question or you're on during a pregame show, you ask a question, you just hope you get a really honest answer. And and there we did. We got a very honest one and, and a very revealing one. If you go back to the GM meetings, when Mike Greer was asked about Carlson and, you know, he basically came out and said yes, if people want to talk to us about Eric Carlson, we're willing to listen. That was another situation where you ask a question, you don't know what answer you're going to get, yeah. but you, you're you thankful that you get a really honest and blunt answer. And I think what we're seeing here with the Sharks 
and Eric Carlson is the fact that there's a group of people here, a team and a player that have said winning is the most important thing. And the question is, is it going to be here or is it going to be somewhere else? And I think that Eric Carlson and the Sharks know that if San Jose decides to take a slower path to this, then he's going to be amenable to going somewhere else. And that's what that answer was. That's what it is. Like This whole thing with Greer putting it out there, what that did was say, look, we're open for business. And we want to know, A, who's interested, and B, what are you willing to consider? Mm-hmm. It's a complicated trade, very complicated trade. So he wants to hear from teams and say, okay, are you willing to take the full contract? Are you willing to take a percentage of the contract between zero and 50? What San Jose has to say is, look, if you take X percentage of the contract, well, maybe what we ask for in return is different. It's a public invitation to a private conversation. And there are two parts to that private conversation. What do you want to do Mm contract-wise? And what does that mean for the trade? And what Carlson did on Saturday night, first of all, he's doing it with his play. He's playing great. He's getting a ton of points. People see that. But what people also see is the attitude. That is Eric Carlson's way of saying, I'm serious about this. I'm here to win. And you notice what he said at the end of the interview? I've got a lot of years left. Yep. And that's his way of saying, I'm not here to coast. Yes, I've got a contract where I'm going to be collecting a lot of money, but I am not here to coast. I'm serious about this. And that was a message. Mike Greer sent a message, and now Eric Carlson is sending a message. Well, that's just it. Uh, This is, if we want to break it down simply, this is Mike Greer saying, we do it. And this is Eric Carlson saying, I'd go. And from a San Jose point of view, if you look at, listen, if San Jose eats half of the contract and this, you know, this is $11.5 million AAV for the next four seasons after this one. So this is sizable and this is really complicated. But if the San Jose Sharks are going to go the way of a rebuild and, you know, uh, a lot of established players go, go out the door, you know, having the quote unquote dead cap space isn't necessarily the worst thing. Like this isn't like a Minnesota situation where they still want to be competitive. Um, they're still in it to make the playoffs and, and go on runs despite the fact that they're in cap hell. I don't think that that's what this would be. So from San Jose's point of view, I think that even eating half the contract is fine, provided that they're going the rebuild route. Well, let me tell you a quick story. So I want to get to to your question. So when I first started at Hockey Night in Canada, one of my first rinkside assignments, there was a team who had a player that was in and out of hot water, like for the, I guess, three or four weeks leading up to this game where I was working rinkside. And during the walk-off interview in the first intermission, you know, I asked a couple of questions about the game. And then for my final question, I threw in, you know, I asked the player what he thought of his teammate. And it was one of those, you know, uh, what does he owe you as a teammate, your feelings about what's happening with player X. And 
I could tell the player was peeved at getting asked that question, probably because that's not a normal walk-off interview type question. And the, uh, the person who was handling communications for that team afterwards just tore a strip out of me, like pulled me aside and read the riot act up and down. I told them to do that, by the way. <laughs> I called them. I said, look, if Merrick asks this goofy question, like just, just hammer them. Just hammer them, trash them. But I think a lot of people in the industry, Elliot, would look at you asking that question of Eric Carlson right before he's about to play and say, oof, that's an interesting one to ask right before a player goes on the ice. It's funny you say that because actually I got a call from a, a, a former producer on Sunday about that. Hmm. Said, did you get any complaints about that? And I said, no. And he said that uh, when he was producing games, if a question like that got asked, right? Like he always felt that there was teams kind of looked at it. If it was a scrum in the morning or a post-game interview or a sit-down or something like that, then everything was fair. But he always felt that teams hated mm -hmm. if that kind of question got asked right before a game or between periods, as you mentioned before. It's mm -hmm. um, funny, as you were saying that, I remember a reporter telling me that she was once talking to a player, uh, interviewing a player between periods, and asked if he was considering retiring at all at the end of the season. And he like snapped at her and said, you know, why would you ask me that question now? And the interview I don't think ever aired. Hmm. And like I said to the producer, no, I got no complaints. And, and he said, I think that's a good thing in the sense that it was a good moment. It made the player look good. It made the show look good. And he hopes that that's a sign that everybody's loosening up about hmm. when these questions can get asked, right? Yeah. I didn't really think about that. I just kind of asked the question I wanted to ask in the moment. But I think we're trying to, we're all trying to make our broadcast more entertaining, right? And if you have a player who's willing to answer those kinds of questions with the kinds of answer that Carlson gave, I think everybody wins. I think the player wins. I think the show wins. And most importantly, I think the audience, the fans, and the viewer win. I was glad that Carlson reacted the way he did. I thought it, I thought it was really good for him and the Sharks, first and foremost. Well, that's why I mentioned Greer saying we would do it. And that's Carlson saying I'd go if you do. Like I thought it was a wonderful piece uh, of television for, for everybody and a wonderful piece of, of information sharing for everybody. You know, I, I thought about the answer a lot driving home from Hockey Night on Saturday because I thought it was such a wonderful moment, too. And listen, I just love listening to Eric Carlson talk. Like, yeah. he's, he's one of the, the, the go-to guys. And, you know, one of the things that, like, we've been through this before with Roberto Luongo, my contract sucks, that famous quote from Luongo. We all understand how difficult any type of deal for Carlson would be, mainly because of the contract, which is, as I mentioned, $11.5 million a season. Now, first of all, before I ask this question, I want to address one specific person who's listening right now before I ask. Mm -hmm. If you are the person at the National Hockey League Players Association who's doing media monitoring today and you're listening to this podcast, please cover your ears. You're not going to like what I'm about to ask Elliot. <laughs> so Elliot, I've always wondered about players who, after they retire, you know, regret never having won the Stanley Cup. And the list is long, and it's getting longer because, you know, there's not six teams anymore, there's 32. So we think of the Marcel Dion's and the Jerome McGinley's and the Gilbert Perrault's, et cetera, go right down the list. 
One of the things I always find interesting talking to veteran players about once they retire is, would you have played for free one season if it meant you'd have a legitimate shot at winning the Stanley Cup? Because hearing Carlson talk about winning and thinking about his career and thinking about his place amongst you know, the greatest defenseman of this generation, well, really of, of any generation, he's such an elite talent. I've always wondered about that. If players could say, you know, if I could do it all again, I would do one year and I would play for free if it meant I'd have one real good shot at the cup. What do you think about that? Like my whole career play for free? No, one year. Okay. Right at the end, like, oh yeah. Listen, we've seen players chase it, right? We've seen so many players chase it. No question. You know, and I'm thinking about Carlson and I'm thinking about the old Luongo quote about my contract sucks and Carlson gets it. He knows the exact situation. I wonder if there's a part of him that says, you know what, man, right now, if meant I had a shot at the Stanley Cup, I'd play for free right now. And I hope whoever at the PA is doing media monitoring right now is not screaming at me right now. I hope you still have your ears covered. I would also do this. I'll play for free. And if we win the cup, I'll take an $11 billion bonus. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, anyway, that was a nice conversation. And yes, thanks, partner. Uh, for throwing me under the bus at your first chance. So well, well done. There. I wish he would have ripped you <laughs> instead of me. No, that's good. He went to you instead. I like that better. <laughs> I probably deserve it more. I want to get to uh, the Vancouver Canucks and Brock Besser as well. Your report on Saturday um, that he has permission to speak with other teams to help facilitate a trade. Yeah. Sent shockwaves, not just through Vancouver, but I think all hockey markets, whether you're the Canucks and maybe looking at, you know, Brock Besser going elsewhere or another NHL team saying, hmm, we can get Brock Besser. This one was a big one. And I want to get to the Canucks. And this was a, like, what an emotional day for Brock Besser, you know, shows up and he's going to be healthy scratched. It's, you know, we all think of his, his father always, but certainly on Hockey Fights Cancer Night in Vancouver, if there's an injury, he draws in, he scores a game-tying goal. From thinking he'd be in the press box this morning to <laughs> scoring the game-tying goal in the third period, Brock Besser fires it past Karel Vamelka. His fourth of the year ties the game at two. Wow. Petey. Same, same thing he's been doing. He gets it up. He's got two guys on his back. He's able to make a play still. Over to Besser on the side, on the left side. Quick shot. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks go on to defeat the Arizona Coyotes, and it all works out okay. Walk us through Saturday and Brock Besser Elliott. Basically what happened was you start to call around after you hear he's going to be a healthy scratch that night. It got shaken out that way. Mm. And the Canucks weren't saying anything, and the agent, who's Ben Hankinson, wasn't saying anything. But it came from enough people that I knew it was true. And, you know, sometimes you just have to trust the information you get, even if you don't get confirmation, and the information was good enough. Now, I don't think he specifically asked for a trade, but I do think there's an understanding there that between the Canucks and him, that it's time for a change of scenery. You know, he hasn't played great this year. At the end of the day, that's the one thing he does control, and that's the one thing that he can fix, is he has to play better. He scored a big goal on Saturday night, and how about Vimelka not understanding media narrative and not letting him score in <laughs> overtime to score the winner? But 
you know, he has to be better and that improves his situation. It's not going to be an easy trade for the Canucks to make. There's not a lot of teams that have the cap room to do it. And the Canucks may have to understand that if they want to make the move, they might not get the best return. But I think they do understand that. To me, there's actually a bigger story here. And as I think about it 24 hours later, and that is that this might be the start of a dismantling. Hmm. And what I think they're going to do is they're going to say, we have to create cap room. We have to change our mix. And if that means that if we trade Besser and maybe our return isn't great, we still at least create the cap room. And I think that's a possibility here. I think they're going to look at a few things in addition to Besser. You're big on the the Horvat not getting re-signed train. I don't like dealing in absolutes. I don't. I've seen too many things change, but I definitely agree with you that it's trending that way. Look, the deals are getting higher and higher. You go Cairo, you go Thomas, you go Rupe Hints. This was a team that was trying to get it done, I don't know, in the high sixes, low sevens last summer. It's out of that stratosphere. And because of what happened with JT Miller, where they signed him out of nowhere at the end of the summer, I refuse to say it's 100% not going to happen, but it's definitely trending in the direction of it's not going to happen. They're going to have to make some interesting decisions. Look, they climbed into the race last week, and they had two awful games this week. Yep. They had Washington was an awful performance. And the game will come to an end as Vancouver's winning streak comes to an end as well. It ends at three games as they open up their four-game homestand with a 5-1 loss at the hands of the Washington Capitals. Florida was an awful performance. As the Vancouver Canucks dropped their second in a row on home ice, outscored 10-2 through the first two games of the homestand. You know, Arizona really had them down until Besser got them into overtime, and then they won it on the power play. I just think that they feel that it's time to make some changes, and I think Besser is the tip of the iceberg. It's trending in that direction with Horvat. I think the one guy who's going to be really interesting, because I think he's a guy who's got a lot of interest around him, is Luke Shen. I agree with that. And I think there's a real sense of there's a point to keeping Shen, and there's a real sense of I think there's going to be interest in Shen. He's a right-hand shot. He's won before. He's a veteran. He's a good team player. He's physical. He knows what he's good at. I think Shen's going to be a real interesting test case for them. What did they do? And the other one, I think, when he's healthy is going to be Demko because I just think that Jim Rutherford is the kind of guy who will say, if we're starting over a little bit here, does it make sense to keep Demko when there's teams out there that need goalies? So the big story from Saturday is Besser, but I think the bigger story might be what this just means for the Canucks. One other thing I, I wanted to say, the whole thing on Saturday, Bruce Boudreaux as a coach has a reputation of really looking out for his players and trying to treat his players really well. Mm-hmm. You know, he comes out on Saturday night and he says, Did you wait at all the fact that it was hockey fights cancer night? Uh, didn't even know. I didn't even know. I mean, that, uh, uh, honest to goodness, it didn't... Uh, uh, in my mind, it was last night I made up my mind. And so, I mean, 
when I came in today that I didn't even think about it until they were talking about it in the after after practice about it. So, you know. And I think when you look at Bruce Boudreaux's history, he tends to be really on top of what is meaningful for his players. I just think that shows you the incredible pressure that he feels under, that he would miss that. Because mm-hmm. it just seems weird to me that Boudreaux, who's a guy who's really in tune with his players, mm-hmm. wouldn't be on top of something like that. To me, it shows the stress that he's under. Yep. Like, look, like you look at the minutes played by some of their top players in that Oof, game. He, he he's going all out to win that game because he needs W's. Yep. The other thing too, and someone pointed this out to me. If you listen to Besser in his post game for Saturday night, he says that he sees his name on the board is not playing. Someone sent me a note and they said what Besser is saying there is that. Someone has to tell me face-to-face that he shouldn't find out he's not playing on a board, mm-hmm. that he should be told. That's fair. I think I've told this story before. I remember in a playoff game with the Canadians, Glenn Metropolit, furious during a game where he was scratched, and it wasn't that he was scratched. I mean, I'm sure he was mad about that too, but he was mad that he was told by the goalie coach. Right. I remember calling PJ, who was broadcasting back at the studio. I was still a ringside reporter then. And I remember calling PJ and I said, can you give me some advice here? Like, what is that? And he goes, that's terrible. It shouldn't be up to the goalie coach. So I think that Besser in this situation, he's not only upset he's getting scratched, but he's also upset that he found out by looking at it on the board. And This whole thing to me, it's just really weird, Jeff, Mm -hmm. because I just think that Boudreaux's way generally is to be very mindful of the players. And to me, that shows the incredible amount of stress around him and the organization that a detail like that Mm -hmm. would be left out. Like, I'll tell you this, I don't think anybody in the organization would be upset that a a more named player was scratched because they haven't played very well. And like we said, they had a bad week. But I think the player was upset, not only about the fact it was Hockey Fights Cancer Night, which is very meaningful to the Besser family, of course. but also because he said he saw it on the board and evidently he wasn't told directly. On that, we'll hit a break. More 32 Thoughts in a moment. Listen to 32 Thoughts, the podcast, ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. 
It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Elliot, you know what I learned about you today? Uh Uh-oh. Yes. I learned that you have a problem with a word, and that word is imminent. Yes, and I don't think I'm the only one. Okay, why? So this word needs to be changed in the NHL rulebook because it's too confusing. Okay. There was a goal disallowed in Vancouver, Arizona. And it's Jack Stadnicka away to center with speed. Stadnicka right wing into the Arizona end with a toe drag into the slot. Draws a hook, played it back in front for Neil Zomod, who scores. The net had been knocked off its moorings. But the Canucks are going to argue that this should count because one of the Coyote defenders pushed it off and Oman shot it into the space where the net would have been. There was also a delayed call against Arizona. And the two referees, Chris Rooney and Brandon Schrader, are going to have to chat about what they want to do here. But the Canucks are celebrating as if they've scored. And you can understand why, because Oman... Gets his own rebound and shoots it. Yes. Because the league felt it took too long after the net was off the morning moorings for Vancouver to score. And they'll hope that they're rewarded with a goal. As we hear now from after referee video, Chris Rooney. After video review, the net was knocked off well prior to the puck being shot in. No goal. The net goes off as the first shot is saved. Yeah. When that puck went in, the four of us who were working, Ron, Jennifer, Kelly, and myself, we all said, that's a goal. And when they said no goal, I called the situation room and I said, you know, what's the deal? And they said too long. And it was a rebound that goes in. It's basically that when the when the net goes off, the player is not really in the act of shooting, right? Mm-hmm. The net goes off, he picks it up and he scores. And my personal feeling, that should be a goal. And the more I thought about it and the more I looked at the rule book, like, and I understood, if you look at Mark Giordano's goal, uh, when Toronto scored against uh, Buffalo, it's the first shot. It's his, it's his direct shot goes in. So I kind of understand that. It's the carry through. It's the carry through. The shot was already there, and then that went off its moorings, and it followed through, and it went in. Or he's about to shoot or in the act of shooting, whatever. Yeah. But the thing is, and people are right about this, they look at the rule book, and it says imminent. And if you'll remember the play with Connor Hellebach in Dallas and Jason Robertson, yeah. the rule book says imminent, but it was about four seconds. And nobody was in the act of shooting on that Hellebuck play. They put it around the net. They pass. Robertson pass out, scores. Yeah. And on this one, I mean, he's right there. He's got a glorious chance to score. He's right there, even if he hasn't shot the puck yet. Mm-hmm. And so I understand why fans would say, wait a second, wait a second. That goal in Vancouver is more imminent than the one with Dallas and Winnipeg. Now, I know some of you Vancouver fans were complaining, well, Toronto scored. The only one cares about is Toronto. Take your central Canadian hatred away from here for two (laughs) minutes, okay? We all know you guys hate central Canada. We get it. We understand. But the Toronto thing, that's perfectly legitimate, and nobody has a reason to complain about it. I think if the Vancouver fans have any complaint, even if it's the net off versus the mask off, it's the imminent nature of the scoring threat. Like that scoring threat, Vancouver, Arizona, is much more imminent than the one Dallas, Winnipeg. 
Is that, hang on, but the thing is, that just all comes back to that's how you feel about it. And this is one of the reasons why. No, it is not. Imminent. Imminent is such a relative word, though, because what seems imminent to you might not seem what's imminent to someone else. Much like, and I've, we've talked about this before, too. Okay, to me, this I'm is, cutting this is you com- off. I'm, this I'm is cutting completely- you off. No, I'm cutting you off. I, I'm ending this argument, and I'll tell you why. Why? Because imminent in one case was what? Four seconds? Dallas, Winnipeg. What was it? Four seconds from the mask came off to the puck uh, went in the net? I, I think it was probably. Whatever things- it was, it was more than Vancouver, Arizona. And a lot more. Yeah, that's fine. So that is. You can make the argument. It was an unbroken sequence. I saw Black Panther with my son on Sunday. Yeah. So that was like a Black Panther level explosive to your argument. You have, <laughs> you have no, no argument. Da- no, here's the argument that the sequence hadn't been broken with the Dallas Stars. If there was a broken sequence, then you could say, okay, the goal was no longer imminent, but the sequence wasn't broken. That is a terrible argument. Then tell me why it's a terrible argument. Imminent is not sequence. I know I'm still a credit and a half shy of my English degree from Western, but imminent has nothing to do with sequence. Imminent means about to happen or close to happening. What What did we talk about last time? If we have a situation where... You know, it's going to be three seconds. You have to score within three seconds of the net coming off or the goaltender losing his mask. All of a sudden, then, we have now video review for how long it took. No, you know, I have a solution. Okay, what? I have a solution. Because everyone's going to everyone's going to, everyone's going to have their stopwatches and say, actually, that was three and a half seconds. It shouldn't count. No, no, no. Because you no, know I'm that's not... where it's going to go. You know that's where it'll go, Elliot. I'm not doing that. I'm channeling my inner Colin Campbell here and saying, Elliot, this is law of unintended consequences. This is where it's going to go. I have a solution. I realized that I'm not going to be like one of those people who screams about everything and doesn't have a solution. I'm going to come with a solution. You treat it like a delayed penalty. Okay, so as soon as a sequence is broken, then you stop? Yes. But that was my argument for Dallas, and you said you didn't like it. The chain of passing to shooting wasn't broken. No, 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 no. I'm talking about, but the other team has to touch the puck. That's what I mean. When Hellebuck went down, Dallas kept firing the puck around and then scored. But I was okay with that because it's the way it's been called in the past. Now I've got a problem with that goal being disallowed on Saturday night because it took too long. Like, I understand as a fan, and there are a bunch of fans, they're tweeting at me, they don't like the explanation, which is perfectly fine. After seeing those plays next to each other and the word imminent in use in both those cases, logically, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. How about if we go to the criteria that I think we both like, which is, how would you feel if that was a disallowed Stanley Cup winner? I would have hated if that goal would have been disallowed in the Stanley Cup final. I didn't like it on Saturday night. I understood why they reviewed it and made that call. Mm. I just disagree with the way it's phrased. Okay, we'll throw this one to the court of public opinion. Tweet at us, DM us. Because we all know that Twitter polls are completely accurate to how human life is thought about. Here's the thing about it that (laughs) is good, whether it's uh, tweets or DMs or emails. I want other people's opinions. I just don't want yes or no, because there's plenty of stuff that I'm sure we're missing right now and someone can fill in the blanks. But my, my point is, is that I understood why the Dallas goal counted. I explained it at the time. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I understood why that counted. 
Yeah, the chain continued. I understood why this one didn't count, but I disagree with it. I think if you're going to use the word imminent and you can have a goal scored four seconds after Hellebuck's mask comes off or whatever it is, that Vancouver goal, which was lying in the crease as the net went off, should have counted. Mm-hmm. If that didn't count in game seven of a Stanley Cup final, how would you feel? No, I'd feel robbed, 100%. Okay. I would feel robbed. A couple of things I want to get to, and I do want to park a little bit of time to talk about Jordan Bennington. Oh, my goodness. But your thoughts on Jacob Truba and your thoughts on, well, first of all, the Rangers lose to the Chicago Blackhawks. Like something's happening with the Rangers here. It's It's been a while now. Yeah. Um, so Truba steps up on uh, Andreas Athanasiu in the neutral zone. Athanasiu. Oh, he's lined up and nailed by Truba. And now Truba, now they've got Jonathan Tate goes after him. Connor Murphy has dropped the gloves with Barkley Goodrow. What a hit by Truba on Andreas Athanasiu. Good throw and Murphy to the ice. You know, once upon a time, every team had a couple of guys like this. Now there are very few, so players like Jacob Truba stand out. Yep. Truba heads off to the Ranger locker room and slams his helmet. Uh, You see him screaming at the bench? And there's no life on the bench. He's trying to get his team going. Afterwards, Andrea Sathanasiu says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, that, uh, you know, Jacob Truba is, you know, noted for his high hits. He's trying to hurt people out there. That's what he does. You know, that's how he tries to make a difference, trying to hurt guys on the other team. Again, that's not the exact quote. I'm paraphrasing. I think I'm pretty close. Max Domi wouldn't even talk about him. I don't know. I got no comment on that guy. So they're hot, obviously. I thought Luke Richardson's comments were really interesting, and some might look at this and say, that's an old-school take. No, no. uh, You know, I think nowadays there's not a lot of that, so players used to know and talk about it. Uh, You know, so-and-so's on the ice, keep your head up. There's not a lot of that anymore, so maybe after tonight there will be. But the thing is, and and maybe it's as simple as age, Jeff, Mm -hmm. but I agree with Richardson. Like, I understand why Athens C is upset. He got hit. It's kind of my way of, like, everybody's entitled to think what they want to think. But Richardson's right. That is not an illegal hit. No. Those used to be hits. Like, you know, Richardson talked about it, where you go back to the bench and the veteran comes down the the, the bench and says, keep your head up when Truba's out there. Mm-hmm. Like, I think sometimes we're, because we're so seduced by the skill of the game and the premium is put on the skill of the game, we forget this is a really dangerous game. Yeah. This is like really fast players on a one eighth inch blade of steel. Like going and they're all like 200 pounds and they're all ripped up like bad report cards. Like these guys are tough, man. And when you get caught, it is billiard balls colliding. There's no rubbing someone out. These are collisions, Elliot. And there are some guys and it's really hard to do. That's another thing we should point out too. Clean hits are hard. Mm-hmm. Say what you want about Truba. That was a clean hit on Nathan to see you, and that's a really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys don't do it because if you chase for a hit and you miss, all of a sudden it's an odd man rush, and you get back to the bench and you hear it from the coach, and you don't try to do it again, which is what makes you know players like Cider or Truba that much more special that they can do it, Jack Eye, that they can do it consistently and not put themselves out of position. Buffalo and San Jose on Sunday. We saw Timo Meyer go at Rasmus Dahlin, who and he missed him. Great move by Dahlin to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Timo Meyer puts himself out of the play, and the Buffalo Sabres start the rush, and Timo Meyer's 
swimming in the Sabres' own end. And then we saw Rasmus Dahlin as Matt Nieto cut in from the right side, Mm -hmm. lay a textbook, gorgeous body check that brought everyone at KeyBank to their feet. Fed ahead by the Sharks. Here's Nieto down the right across the line. He gets throttled by Rasmus Dahlin. And Luke Cunning steps up a little bit, thinks about it, but play will continue with the Sabres moving back. Across the line they come. Here's Tage Thompson, the shot blocked by Megnan. It's over the glass and out of play. And here comes Cunning coming back for Darlene. Darlene knocked him down. And Cunning wants a piece of Rasmus Darlene after Darlene throttled Matt Nieto. Well, this game's going to hopefully take another edge here as it was actually Logan Couture who went after Darlene as well. And you know what that is? That's real hard to do. Like Darlene evading Timo Meyer, who's one of the best power forwards in the game, and then clobbering legally Matt Nieto. That was a masterclass by Rasmus Dallin on Sunday. Great hit. But I have no problem with that Jacob Truba hit and the lion's share of Jacob Truba hits. I don't have any problem with either for each. What Richardson said is what I agree with. Again, I understand why the players are mad. They're not used to this anymore. No. There's just not enough guys who do it anymore. So the one guy who does it or the couple of guys who do it really stand out and that's it now the one thing I, I thought it was actually more interesting Truba gets the penalty and he flings his helmet yeah so Truba fought twice this weekend he had an all-timer on Friday night against Brady Kachuk who really had an unbelievable weekend down to five minutes remaining second period and now Kachuk and Truba drop the gloves at center ice the two captains Jacob Truba and Brady Kachuk. That was a center ice spotlight fight. Yeah. If you're like that was, if you're into those things, that was the fight of the year so far. Kachuk's helmet goes flying. Both players to the ice. And the fans on their feet. Yeah, Kachuk had an unbelievable weekend. He did. He, he had the fight, the two goals, and then he, he clobbered Carlson in the game on uh on, on Saturday on the first shift. But Gerard Gallant indicated that Truba is hurt. And I really wonder if he should be fighting. Mm. I wonder if his injury is, or at least one of them anyway, he probably shouldn't be fighting, but he's doing it to get his team going. I can't prove it. I don't know it for sure, but I suspect it, that fighting is something he shouldn't be doing with it. But he's saying, to hell with it. Our season is in trouble, and I'm going to do this. And I think that's one of the reasons he was so angry on Saturday night, because he's doing it while he's hurt, and they're just not going anywhere. All right, so what about the Rangers then? Because there's Truba trying to fire up his squad, chucking the helmet, let's go, boys, enough of this. I'm laying my body on the line here. You guys all know what's ailing me. Let's get back into this thing. What's happening with the Rangers for each? There's a lot of players who were very important for them going into the Stanley Cup semifinals last year that haven't started very well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's a major problem. I had Rangers fans in my DMs, have you heard anything with us and Trots? The answer is is no, I, I haven't heard anything like that. The only thing that I, I wonder about with them is, and, and I think Drury is trying to be patient here. He understands that 
It's a very hard league to trade in right now. I think he's trying to be patient. The only thing I ever wonder about there is the owner. You know, a couple of years ago, we all thought that the Rangers were going in the right direction. And James Dolan was like, nope, I don't like this. We're getting pushed around too much. We're making changes. And that's the only thing I ever think about with him. I think Drury has a plan. I think he knows what he wants to do. But you have an owner there who, when he makes up his mind to do something, he's a tough guy to stop. And that's the only thing I really think about is, does the owner look at this and say, I'm not liking what I'm seeing? So someone else making headlines, Elliot, for the, uh, as we may borrow a clockwork orange word, ultraviolence. Jordan Bennington of the St. Louis Blues. Whether it's uh, trying the cold shoulder on Jordan Stahl. Harm's way in here is the hit of the night right here. Bang! Good technique, goes shoulder to chest. Stahl's like, what are you doing? Shen actually came back over. I think Shen thought that Stahl ran him over. That's not the case. It was initiated by Bennington. Well, Bennington is listed as 172 pounds, and Stahl is at least 220, and he initiated that hit. I think you're right. Stahl was one of the wood, and the heck is that? Technique was excellent. It was. Or reaching his glove around to scrape the face of Jason Zucker in the Penguins game on Saturday. In nine career games, oh. the Blues, and look out. He got clipped pretty hard there yeah, by nobody, Bennington. Nobody saw it. Jason so now down. they do. Now they are pointing at the goaltender, Bennington. The referee looked around and, and as if t- he didn't notice anything. Now I think he's been tipped off, maybe by the linesman, that he's going to have to make a call here. Your thoughts on what we've seen with Jordan Bennington. And by the way, as you can hear from these quotes from Craig Berube, his head coach, not amused. Back, so, kind of back door. Got to be better. Everybody. Goalie, too. Yeah. It's not good enough. Well, is this a case of Jordan just getting frustrated there? Yeah. Time? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And it's got to stop. Mm-hmm. Would you, would you that like, doesn't help anything. Pardon me? Doesn't help anything. Yeah. Would you like him to just to be more yeah, even just, just play goal. Stop the puck. Yeah. All you have to do is listen to what Barube just had to say there. You know, the thing is, too, is that Bennington was lucky. He didn't get killed by Jordan Stahl. That's a big man. If you're Barube here, you're saying, look, stop the puck. Worry about that. But I'm also concerned he's my number one goalie. What if he gets hurt? Not only what if he gets hurt doing it, what if someone's just fed up with him? Well, I think on some level with him, you have to understand with Bennington that that's part of who he is, right? Yeah. But this is Barube, one of the toughest players ever to play the game saying, you've gone too far. Enough of this. My question is, though, why now? Because it's happened twice this week. Just because it's back-to-back games? Because, as you mentioned, like when you have Jordan Bennington in your lineup, isn't that just sort of baked into the pie? But there has to be a limit. There always has to be a governor. Well, There's times you're out there and your job is to play, okay? Mm -hmm. His number one job is to stop pucks. And like you said, it's baked into the pie. Sometimes you're going to understand, but you're not going to understand it twice in one week. You're not going to understand it in a week where you've lost 6-4 to Carolina and 6-2 to Pittsburgh back-to-back. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you're, you're not putting up with that. now. And plus, you're in a battle to make the playoffs. You need Bennington to be focused 
on the number one thing that he's supposed to do, which is stop the puck. Look at St. Louis's losses this year. 6-2 to Pittsburgh, 6-4 to Carolina, 4-1 to Dallas, 5-2 to Tampa, 6-2 to Buffalo, 5-1 to Philadelphia, 3-1 to Boston, 5-2 to the Islanders, 7-4 to Montreal, 5-1 to the Kings, 6-2 to the Predators, 3-1 to Edmonton, 4 nothing to Winnipeg. You notice a trend there? Every single loss by at least two goals. Mm-hmm. You can't be having Bennington worry about evening scores or collecting pelts. You got to worry about stopping the puck. And the fact that it comes from someone of Barube's stature, the guy who played the way he did, it's triply meaningful. Okay, so Elliot, we talked about this on Saturday on Hockey Night, and that is the All-Star Game. And you reported that there is a lot of interest, I believe, both from teams and from the league uh, to take this thing back to Canada. Now, if you have a look over the last few seasons, I mean, this year, the All-Star Game was in Florida. Last year, Vegas. The season before that, it was St. Louis. I think St. Louis was owed an All-Star Game for something uh, and that made the most sense to to have it there. Before that, it was you know San Jose, it was Los Angeles. So it's been in um, some warmer climates, let's just say. And I'm of the belief that the NHL is of the belief that it's time to go north again. Your report, Canada interested. Well, first of all, I'm going to get about uh, 20 of the cities in the NHL furious at me with this one right now. <laughs> So prepare your anger. (laughs) I'm giving you five seconds to get ready. Are you sufficiently charged up? Everybody's sitting down. I know what Elliot's going to drop here. Is everyone sitting down? Have you prepared your fainting couches? I heard that there was one suggestion made that the all-star game should be a rotation of seven to 10 teams that players would want to go to. And that other cities should be dropped. Dropped from consideration forever. Consideration. First of all, I should say, I don't know that the NHL agrees with this proposal, but I heard it was suggested. And I heard that rotation included Anaheim, San Jose, Nashville, Los Angeles, Vegas, Dallas, Florida and Tampa, the Rangers, Montreal, and Toronto. That's what I heard it was. And some people are going to mention Arizona, not until they get a new building. But I think if Arizona got a new building, yes, they would be included in that. And that's going to make a lot of people really angry. If you didn't hate this podcast before, you're certainly going to hate it now after hearing that. But I believe that suggestion was made. I don't think the NHL wants to do that, but I, I think it was made. But you're right. I think there's generally a feeling that this has not been in a colder weather climate for too long. And I do think that there are at least three Canadian cities who are interested. Edmonton has a new arena. Mm -hmm. They would like to have events there. Now, I think Edmonton is supposed to get the outdoor game next year. Not the New Year's Day one, but a a Canadian one. So I'm not sure what that would mean, but I would bet Edmonton would love to have an all-star game too. So a Heritage Classic. Yeah, Heritage Classic, right? Thank you. You know, you said on Saturday night, Montreal loves to host everything. Yes. And they want to host everything. And they're good at hosting these things. Yes. The draft was a fifth deck home run 
last year. Yes. You know, Montreal basically said, we'll do the draft every year. Yep. They would love to do it every year. Mm-hmm. And Montreal would love to be involved. But as you said, I think there's a feeling they just had something. Yep. I do wonder, Jeff, and I know you have a bit of a stronger feeling than I do, but I do wonder if Toronto is there. I know they are interested. Yeah, the main reason why I wonder that too is, you know, this is the replacement for their international tournament, the World Cup of Hockey. Toronto is going to be one of the anchor cities. Uh, It was going to be there for the semifinals and the finals. They'd already gone down the road. The last time the All-Star game was in Toronto would have been in 2000. And if they're bringing the All-Star Act north of the border, I'm of the belief that Toronto would get big-time consideration. I would agree with that. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. Vancouver just had a draft. Um, You mentioned the Edmonton building. I think Ottawa's going to start to get some, because these are cookies sometimes too, right, from the NHL. So if you have a new building, hey, you know, Ottawa's got one on the horizon. And uh, is this going to be a a cookie for someone that buys the team? Hey, purchase the Ottawa Senators and, you know, we're going to throw in an an all-star game or we're going to throw in the draft. Listen, what did the commissioner just say in, in Tempe last week? You know, we'd look at, you know, holding, you know, our tent pole events here, whether it's the draft or whether it's the the all-star game, if we can get this one into the end zone. So I, I just wonder if this is the, the the replacement for Toronto for missing out on being a, an anchor city for the World Cup of Hockey. That would make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Okay, sticking with Canada, Elliot, you and I had a brief conversation and kind of said, let's talk about this on the podcast. Winnipeg Jets changing the mix. Now, I want to point one thing out. So the Winnipeg Jets beat the Anaheim Ducks on Sunday. Winnipeg didn't exactly come out of the gate hot. As a matter of fact, it was the opposite. And Rick Bonus said, Listen, I'm the head coach, so I'm responsible for the way we start and getting our team prepared. So that starts with me. The second thing is I'm not a babysitter. These guys are men. They're professionals. And they're paid to show up, ready to go to work. My job is to is to make that happen. I don't know if I believe that, Elliot. You are you calling Rick Bonus a liar on this podcast? I think no, you I'm are. All, I heard that. All I'm saying is, did everybody I, hear no, that? I Bonus is Rick, a liar. We're going to make that the title. <laughs> I think what Rick Bonus is doing there is being a player's coach and saying, "Yeah, these guys stunk early, and that's my fault." It's interesting talking to people about bad starts for teams. Some will say, oh, it's a coach's job to have the players prepared. Others will say, Elliot, no, 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 you're a professional. You're a player. You start on time. That's when your job begins. That's what I believe. That's what you believe? Yes. If I have a bad broadcast, which has never happened, but if I have a bad broadcast, I will never blame the producer. I'll, I'll always blame the producer. Like when I'm bad <laughs> on this podcast, it's Amel's fault. Saturdays, it's Spearsy. Oh, yeah. Radio, it's Matty Marchese. Oh, yeah. It's never, it's never me falling on the sword. No way. And Kevin and Kelly said that a couple of weeks ago on hockey night when a team started poorly. They said, it's not the coach's fault. You're supposed to be ready to play on time. And I feel the same way too. Yeah. I agree with you. It's the same thing that's going in New York right now. I was reading some of the stories about the Rangers the last couple of days and and Gallant's defending them and says, we're, we're getting better, we're getting better. You know, you can feel the hydraulic press coming down on you, right? You're going to say, oh, yeah, we're playing better. And people know that's not necessarily true, but you've got enough pressure internally that you don't need to turn it up outside too. Mm -hmm. That's what that is. Winnipeg won again big against Anaheim. And we, you and I have been talking, I think it's been more on your show, 
as opposed to this podcast, just about, you know, you have to change your coaches every few years, right? And someone called me up this morning and said they were thinking about that when they were watching Winnipeg. You know, I don't know what number Rick Bonus was in the order for the Winnipeg Jets. Hmm. Was he number two behind Barry Trotz? Was he number three behind Barry Trotz and someone else? Like, I don't know what the answer is to that. But I don't think he was the first choice. And it's worked out really well for him that he has because it does feel much different there. Like, they still have Hellebuck having a monster season. In the money puck goal save above expectations ranking, he's right at the top with Sorokin and Vimelka. Like, those three are having incredible seasons. And a great goalie solves a lot of problems. And this person called me and he said, and he's a player, he said that him and some of his teammates have been talking about that a lot. And the other thing he said was, it shows how much you have to respect what the Lightning have done. Mm. Because they have had the coach and most of the core together now for basically a decade. And they're still winning. And he said, that's really hard to do. You know, you saw the other night, Stamkos gets his all the gifts for his 1,000th point, right? And, you know, Cooper and Stamkos did not have a great relationship for a while. But they found a way to make it work. And very successfully, the rising tide floats all boats. How much better do we all think of Cooper and Stamkos because they've got two championships and we're two wins away from another one? And so he said it makes him respect the Lightning even more, but he looks at Winnipeg this year and and he says, look, I don't think Paul Maurice is a bad coach, but I think it was time. And as a player, he says that, one of the things he, he's thought about a lot is how important it is for a team to recognize its time, whether it's the coach or your players, how one change, whether of a coach or a core player, can breathe new life into your room. And he sees that in Winnipeg. Hmm. And he doesn't see that as necessarily blame on the old coach, but he sees it as it was just time for a new message. And look how rejuvenated they look. And when I watch Winnipeg, I think about that a lot. Hmm. And Jeff, the last thing I want to say is we talked briefly about Brady Kachuk and, and what a great week he had. Yeah. I watched the condensed game of Ottawa and San Jose. Because I, I, when you're watching five games in a night, you don't really get to watch it as closely as you like to. Mm-hmm. And you know, especially when, you know, I'm on the panel, so I'm not paying attention to any games. But... <laughs> That Ottawa building was crazy on Saturday night. There was. And everybody appreciated it, including obviously the coach. Unreal. I, I, it had that Boston feel of game one. Um, kudos to the fans and the crowd. That gave us that energy. If it's, if it's a, a dead crowd or maybe there's not enough fans you know, here tonight, maybe we don't find this gear. And uh, I think the guys felt that buzz in there. Felt it right from the, the anthem on out. So this week... The data room opens up for the Ottawa Senators, or at least it's supposed to. And the data room is basically an online portal where you can go into and look at the finances of the Senators. Now, not anybody can just do this. For those of you who are getting ideas, mm-hmm. you have to put down a security uh, deposit and you also have to put sign an NDA. And like I was watching that game on Sunday, the condensed game, and I was saying, what a great game to have hmm. for any potential buyer. 
Like we have talked about this Sanders team, that they are a bit of a sleeping giant. And there's new ownership coming, and they've locked up a lot of their players, and we know that they're working to get a new arena and the optimism's there. This is a market that is ready to burst. And you couldn't have had a better advertisement for selling this team after what it's been through than that game on Saturday night. Elliot, you remember well what that building was like when it was Spezza and Alfredson and Havlat and Phillips and Redden and and Chris Neal and, 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 and. You remember what that was like, Elliot? It was insane. It was a great place to be for hockey. That team was awesome, and the fans were right there with it. It was fantastic. I think those players deserve a lot of credit because they could have folded on their season. They could have folded on their head coach, and they could have folded on their season, and they didn't do it. Honestly, I think a lot of it's the guy you already mentioned. That's Brady Kachuk. Well, he has to be. He's the leader, right? He's an old-school, easy-to-like leader. It's like watching his dad. Kind of is. Like, I was going to ask you that. Is this the weekend where the first time where Brady Kachuk really felt like Keith? It sure reminded me of him. Yeah. Like, you always wonder. Like, you always wait to see an athlete hit his or her stride. Was this the weekend that we really saw Brady Kachuk hit his stride? And who hit his stride in the Kachuk family better than Big Walt? Like, I just wonder. Like, it, it, lo- it, it looked like this was this is the first time we said, like, wow. Like, he is his dad. All right, get it before it's gone. Visit the Sportsnet shop to get your 32 Thoughts merchandise. That's hoodies, that's tees, crewnecks, even a coffee mug that changes color when you fill it up with your go-to warm beverage. Visit www.shopsportsnet.store to get your 32 gear today. www.shopsportsnet.store Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's Daily Deals. Their chicken wings are double-dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and they're half price on Mondays. Uh, Half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday, the only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences... 
People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay, Elliot, uh, let's finish up here with a couple of voicemails and we'll start with an email. Uh, Devin in Squamish, BC. Okay, I love this because of the preface. Uh, you said there were no dumb questions. I thought I would throw this one out there. <laughs> this, First of all, this is not a dumb question. And please, again. Only reporters ask dumb questions. <laughs> That's right. Just ask John Tortorella on <laughs> Saturday night. You're asking me dumb questions, guys. Really dumb questions. Jesus. Okay. Can you explain what being put on waivers slash clearing waivers means? Sure. So basically what waivers are is you can't keep sending someone down to the minors without giving them a chance to play in the NHL. Somewhere else. Somewhere else. Somewhere else. That's right. So there's basically a clock. If you're on an entry level, and it depends on how old you are when you first sign, but there's a certain amount of time you spend or a certain amount of games that you play before you become waiver eligible. And that means you can't be sent down to the minors without being offered to every other team in the league. So if you're on an entry-level contract, for example, and they're sending you down to the minors, you don't have to be made available for waivers. But after a certain amount of time, again, depending on what age you are when you sign, before you can be sent down to the minors, you have to be put on waivers. And the order is reverse order of points percentage. So the worst team in the league gets the first shot at you. And that way you can't go down to the monitors without every other team in the league having an opportunity to say, we want to give this guy a shot. And if there's multiple claims, the team with the worst record gets you. Now, the funny thing about this is it was put into the CBA, I believe, that teams technically can't be told and agents can't be told if there were multiple claims, like if, if someone goes down to the Myers and there's five claims, you're not supposed to know who they were because it would be, it would help your negotiation. It drives me crazy because I ask this stuff all the time, but it just means I have to work a little harder. <laughs> it is like catnip though. And that when you, when you find out a piece, like I, I'm of the belief that when Briz Galoff was placed on waivers, I think Detroit put in a claim. Like every now and then, like you get a little bit of a, a a nugget, a little information puck, and it's like, ooh, you found out who made a claim, who put in a claim for the player. <laughs> um, Devin, great question. That was not a bad question at all. Not bad. Okay, uh, voicemail. I can knock this one this one down easy for you, Elliot. So put your feet up on this one. This is Reese in Edmonton. Hey, it's Reese from Edmonton. I had a question about WHL and AHL leagues. So any league below the NHL, if there's a potentially franchise player playing on one of those teams and the team sucks, would there be encouragement from the NHL or teams in the NHL to move that player to a better team so they could develop better or quicker? Thanks, Elliot, Amal, and uh, Jeff. Podcast is great. Thanks. Yes, and it's happened a number of different times. We strongly suspect that if... Uh, Shane Wright gets sent back to junior in Kingston that he'll be traded almost immediately to a contender. And let's not forget too, the Kingston, you know, wants the Memorial cup next year as well. And they could help move their program along quickly with a big trade. The other one that I'm not sure if people know about is Alex Petrangelo. And you'll remember this one, Elliot, when he was sent down 
the junior, the Ice Dogs had his rights and the St. Louis Blues essentially said, we'll send him down if he gets traded to a contender. So he can go and have a long playoff run. And at that time, the Ice Dogs weren't exactly a good team. And so he got traded to the Barry Colts in exchange for Ryan Strom, hmm. now of the Anaheim Ducks. So yes, Reese, great question. Uh, it's happened plenty before and strongly suspect that if Shane Wright goes that direction, it'll happen again. I also remember a situation where I don't want to say who the player was because he's still in the NHL and I, I don't know if he would want it. So I'll just use the example. But I do remember one high pick. He was a top 10 pick. Not a top two pick, but a top 10 pick who wasn't sent down by his team because the NHL team didn't like the coaching he was receiving at his junior team. I believe and the, that. And the junior I, team would re- refuse yep. and refused to trade him. So they yep. said, if you won't trade him, we won't send him down. Yep. I do remember that happening. I believe that 100%. Okay. Uh, final voicemail for the podcast today. Let's get to Nico. Hi, this is Nico from Virginia calling. My question is this. Could a player on a two-way deal, if they were, say, suspended for two games, get sent down to the AHL and be able to play? Or is there some clause between the two leagues where if a player is suspended in one, they are suspended in the other? Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Great job. Jeff, Amal, Elliot, we'll talk when you get that beard situation figured out. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I like the Elliot shots. This is a really good question. First of all, and you can color this one in, Elliot, you can send the player to the American League, but the problem is you're not burning off the suspension. You still have right. to be with the NHL team to serve those two games. To the point about respecting suspensions, as much as there is a an overlap when it comes to the American Hockey League and the NHL, they are still very much their own leagues. Mm-hmm. Like it isn't an automatic that the American Hockey League would honor an NHL suspension. For most, they probably wouldn't. And the player would be free to play in the American Hockey League. He wouldn't be burning off his NHL suspension. Now, what I do believe is that goes case by case, Elliot. And that the uh, the player safety department in the American Hockey League in association with Scott Housen would review, like if there was something significant, more than just like a, a run-of-the-mill suspension and that caused, you know, undue harm to another player, someone both on or, or off the ice, that the American Hockey League does have the right to uphold the NHL suspension and not allow that player to play in their league. The other way as well, players that are under American Hockey League suspension can still go up and play in the NHL. And we think last season, Bokanji Amama, who was suspended in the American Hockey League, was called up by the Arizona Coyotes and made his NHL debut while he was still under AHL suspension. Well, actually, I was going to refer that because it wasn't Imama I was going to mention. It also happened with Luke Witkowski. Luke Witkowski was suspended December 2021 in the AHL for two games, and he was called up by the Red Wings. So it does happen. You had some good questions today. You know, I got to say, our audience, they ask great questions. I know, unlike us. 
<laughs> and I don't think our I don't think our audience will fire their partners under the bus before they ask a superstar NHLer a question. But that you know that's you know we're you're a little bit different than everybody else, Elliot. <laughs> um, taking us out today, a band from Denver, Colorado. By the way, thanks to everyone who tuned in today, as always. Uh, a band from Denver, Colorado, that is named after a popular Beatles song, "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds." The very psychedelic sound, Lucy Daydream, have dropped a pair of full-length records over the last few years. From their latest album, Dream Machine, here's Lucy Daydream with Drippy on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy. What the fuck am I waiting for? Someone to push me back. On the low, I don't You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences... People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.